Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. How is everybody? I'm sure you are asked that several times a service, but it's interesting to see the energy level increase or decrease uh, throughout the service. Um, my name is Dave, and I am from the beautiful state of Wisconsin. Anybody ever been to Wisconsin? Yeah. All right. All right. Beautiful state. In the summer, of course, it's hot, humid, and saturated with mosquitoes. For those of you who've never been there, and you have no clue what the beautiful state is like, if you have Netflix, just watch Making a Murderer. All right? Those are my people, because Stephen Avery lives about 132 miles from my house. Now, just a little bit of interesting fact for you as we get started here, and I'm not saying this for applause, I promise you, but this is my seventh summer with you at Timberlake Church. Every summer I have the opportunity to spend uh, two different weekends back-to-back here, and this one has started off particularly amazing because we've had great weather. I don't care that it's in the 90s. It is amazing weather, Uh, and I have my 18-year-old daughter, Caitlin, with me, and a friend of hers... And it's a big deal because Caitlin just graduated from high school. All right, so there she is in kindergarten and yeah. And this fall, she is actually moving to the Seattle area. She's going to be a freshman at Northwest University in Kirkland. So we'll start seeing you maybe a little bit more even. Well, I know that when we launch a talk here, get started on a talk, we're supposed to welcome all the campuses. This is absolutely true. I was confused today. I was trying to think and count them in my head. I don't even know how many campuses you have anymore. All right, so I did go online and I counted, but I am very curious. Without looking, how many of you say we know exactly how many campuses we have? (laughs) What the? There literally are no hands, including Pastor Ben. (laughs) We've lost count. Any good guesses? Six, five, four, seven campuses, including online. Seven can- When you cannot remember the amount of campuses you have, you know things are getting out of control. Well, today we are continuing a series that Pastor Ben kicked off last week, and we'll continue to be in it for a couple of weeks. It's a series that's rooted in something that every single one of us, regardless of the demographic we fall into, regardless of our background, what we believe about God, that every single one of us are confronted with on a daily basis. It's a series that is rooted in this word fear. Fear of rejection, fear of disappointment, fear of looking stupid, fear of making the wrong decision, fear of uncertainty, fear of missing out. Fear of failure. All of us wrestle with fear. And one of the myths that's very easy for followers of Jesus to buy into is that since we have the Spirit of God in in us, we should never have fear. We should overcome it. We should be able to punch it in the face and move on. 
In fact, King David, who was the second king of Israel, he spent a whole lot of time writing down different thoughts that he had and different reflections. He often hit this topic of fear. In one place, he writes, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I am not going to be afraid. And then he writes on another occasion, the Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. Somewhere else he writes, I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all my fears. In another place, he says, the Lord is my strength. And then he asks the question, why should I be afraid? The irony is that King David was often crippled with fear. If you've ever read the different aspects of his life, I mean, there were years he spent as a fugitive, running and hiding from others. There were seasons of his life where he feared losing power. There were times that he feared missing out on something he wanted desperately. He was afraid of having to deal with the consequences of his sin and his actions. And so really the writings of King David, when he says, I do not fear or I overcome fear, they're really just more of a, a desire that he has and a reflection of his heart. And it's a reflection I'm sure all of us have. Like, yeah, I want to overcome fear. I want to move past it. And yet the reality is, it's just part of the landscape of life. It's never going away. And so our really hope for not being defeated by fear is to somehow develop courage in our life. And thankfully for us, the Bible is jam-packed with stories of courage. You can open it to almost any page, and there's somebody evidencing courage. In the Jewish Bible, which is our Old Testament, uh, we read a lot about a guy by the name of Moses. Moses played a very big role in leading the Jewish people out of slavery where they had been for 400 years uh, in Egypt. And he was an icon to the Jewish people. Well, when he dies, his assistant Joshua takes over. Now, trying to replace Moses is like somebody trying to replace Jeff Bezos at Amazon. All right, you're following a legend. You're insecure, you're scared, you don't know what to do. And it's during that transition in leadership that God speaks these words to Joshua. He says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So God doesn't promise to make fear go away. He doesn't promise that everything's going to be easy, everything's going to be rainbows and unicorns. What he does is he said to Joshua, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of challenges, I am going to be with you. And based on that promise, based on that reality, you now should have the courage to be able to confront your fear. Just to make sure we're all on the same page as we talk about courage, I think it's important to know that courage is not the absence of fear, and it's not the opposite of fear. Courage is the willingness to act in spite of fear. It's saying, yeah, I'm afraid. Yeah, I'm nervous. I'm terrified. I don't know how things are going to turn out. But I'm going to act in spite of my fear. It's a choice to walk into the unknown and face whatever fear we have head on. Now, one of my favorite stories is the story of Larry Walters. Uh, Larry was a 33-year-old truck driver living in Los Angeles, California. Uh, he had a huge dream of becoming a pilot in the Air Force, but unfortunately had bad eyesight, so he wasn't able to, uh, to do what he wanted to do. 
And so on one particular day in 1982, he was restless knowing he wanted to fly and it wasn't going to happen. And so he came up with this crazy idea. It actually had been ruminating in his mind for a long time. He went down to the local army surplus store, purchased 45 weather balloons, brought them home, filled them with helium, and attached them to a lawn chair. And then his lawn chair he attached to his Jeep with some rope. And after he got everything ready, he went inside his house, grabbed a pellet gun, a CB radio, sandwiches, some beverages, and uh, he decided that he was going to take this risk and hopefully float 100 feet into the air. And so he goes and he gets his buddies together and his girlfriend, and they're all there, and he has his buddies cut the rope that is keeping his lawn chair attached to the Jeep. Well, his hope and dream of going 100 feet in the air happened. And then 200 feet. And he didn't just kind of drift up. He literally launched up like a cannon to 16,000 feet in the air. Eventually, he drifted into the area by the Los Angeles International Airport where he was sighted by a DC-10 airline pilot who radioed down to the control tower, there is a man up here in his lawn chair. Well, he was terrified. He couldn't take his hands off his lawn chair to get the pellet gun to shoot down the helium balloons, which he, what he intended to do initially because he, he was just too terrified to do it. Well, after about an hour, nature happened, and slowly but surely, naturally, the balloons started to pop, and after 60 minutes or so in the air, he drifted back to earth, and uh, when he landed, he grabbed his lawn chair and uh, started walking away, but sure enough, he was arrested he was taken away in handcuffs, and there were reporters there to greet him, and one of the reporters yelled out, Mr. Walters, why did you do it? And he replied nonchalantly, this is something I just had to do. And he said, I've been thinking about it for years, I just had to do it. Well, that really is the essence of courage. It's saying, man, I can't really stop from moving into this thing, I'm terrified, I, I, it's scary, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just feel compelled to do this because what I'm about to do is that important. And of course, we live in a world that's fascinated with, fear, or with courage. It's the reason that so many movies are based on the theme of courage. It's why so many books, the whole content of the book is the story of someone who evidenced courage. And so everybody appreciates courage, but as followers of Jesus, we ought to be more than just encouraged and fascinated by, with, uh, by it. It should be a particular interest to followers of Jesus because all throughout the Bible, we are continually running into men and women who evidence acts of courage. And their acts of courage become a tipping point in their life or the life of people around them. One occasion, we read about Abraham. He decides to leave his homeland that he had grown up in, was comfortable with, and travel literally hundreds of miles into an area he was unfamiliar with. But his act of courage to move and to follow the promptings of God is what became the catalyst for the nation of Israel being born. And then we read about Moses, who was a fugitive from Egypt, but he has the courage to return to Egypt and confront Pharaoh face-to-face, -face, the leader of Egypt, and his courage is what opens the door for the Jewish people after 400 years of slavery to find freedom. 
We read about a guy named Joseph having the courage to forgive his brothers who had hurt him and betrayed him and allowed them to move to Egypt, and his courage became a tipping point for the Jewish people. We read about David facing Goliath and how his courage boosted the confidence of the Jewish people. We read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego holding on to their faith in God despite all odds and despite uh, political figures threatening them. And their act of courage, their willingness to hold on to their faith became a tipping point for the faith of others. We read about Joseph deciding to marry his fiancée, Mary, even after he found out she was pregnant. We read about Peter Parker getting hit or getting bit by a radioactive spider and going on to rescue people. All right, so story after story, all throughout the scriptures, we see courage being evidenced. And the temptation for me today is to point to these men and women and say, be like them. Do what they did. The problem is you're never going to be a king. You're never going to be in a situation where you have to confront some giant. It's just not going to happen. You're not going to find yourself standing in Pharaoh's court or in Donald Trump's presence or really any world leader for that matter. It's just not going to happen. And of course, if your fiance shows up pregnant to a family reunion, um, nobody is going to believe that she's a virgin. And so the problem is the Bible's filled with stories like this. Movies are, is, are filled with stories like this. Books are filled with stories like this. And it can be very easy for us to dismiss and say, well, that's for other people. I'm not that kind of person. But the reality is every single day, you and I are confronted with invitations and opportunities and circumstances that call for courage. And it's not the kind of courage that's going to be super dramatic or is going to be known to the public necessarily. It's not the kind of courage that legends are made of. But it is the kind of courage that still has the power to be a tipping point in your life, in my life, or in the lives of other people. And there are lots of different faces of courage. Ben talked about an aspect last week, and because this is the first week that I'm uh, speaking on this topic for the sake of the notes that I gave you, I call this face of courage number one because this is where I want to zero in today and that is the courage to stay when it would be easier to go. The courage to stay when it would be easier to go. Now again, I'm aware courage has several different faces because we could argue, well, aren't there moments that you need the courage to leave when it'd be easier to stay? And, and that's true. There, there are moments like that. Right? Sometimes we need the courage to be quiet when it would be easier to speak up. And then there are times we need the courage to speak up when it would be easier to stay silent. I'm currently wrestling with that right now. I've got an issue that's recently unfolded. Uh, a few months ago, I was giving a talk and had to give a little bit of history in order to make the talk come alive. And so I talked about Nero in this talk. Now, for those of you who are not familiar, familiar with Nero, he is consistently listed in one of the most evil people who've ever walked on this planet. Well, we have a family in our church who was there that day as I was giving this talk, and they're relatively new to the faith and their understanding of the scriptures, and somehow they missed the context of what I was speaking about. 
And I know this because this past Sunday, they grabbed me in the lobby and said, hey, we want to introduce you to the newest member of our family. This is little Nero. And I said, oh, little Nero, good, nice to meet you. They said, hey, let me give you the, the story of how we picked the name. Remember a few months ago, you were given a talk and you mentioned Nero. So Nero is in the Bible, which Nero's name's not in the Bible, but they said Nero's in the Bible. And so because of that talk, we named him Nero. And then they dedicated, out of the blue, on Sunday, we are doing baby dedications, and they just decided in the middle of dedications to walk up front. And I said, well, let's give it up for my buddy here, and their baby, Nero, and he yells out to everybody, like the one in the Bible. <laughs> so I have this dilemma right now. Do I have the courage to speak up and say, Nero is actually one of the worst people in history, or do I just keep my mouth shut? So just out of curiosity, a quick poll. How many of you say, Dave, you need to tell them that Nero is not the right name? All right, I'm with the rest of you. Thank you. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. And if they ever ask me, I'm just going to say Nero was a tremendous leader because he was. Well, the reason that courage is so rare is because it's disruptive. It disrupts lives. It disrupts circumstances. It makes us uncomfortable. And if there's one thing about humanity is all of us just love for life to be comfortable and easy. We, we all kind of give in to this pressure to fit in. We like to talk alike and look alike and dress alike. And there's not many of us who just like to stand out all the time. And for the most part, that's actually a good thing. It's the reason we have societies and it's the reason that communities are able to exist. But there are times as followers of Jesus where our values or the way we make decisions is not going to gel with everyone around us. In fact, on a few occasions, Jesus actually warned his disciples. He said, hey, I'm telling you, you're going to face difficulty. You're going to face persecution because you are my followers. And sure enough, not long after the death and resurrection of Jesus, two of his most devoted followers, Peter and John, are arrested. And the reason that they're arrested is because a man is healed... And this man had, had been dealing with his issue for a very long time. So, man, there's lots of buzz. There's lots of energy. There's people talking. There's a crowd gathering. And when Peter saw, sees this crowd gathering and he sees the excitement and how people are responding, he decides to take advantage of the moment by standing up and just giving a talk about Jesus. And the message that he gave included words that aren't just simply offensive today. They were offensive Back then, words like Jesus and resurrection. And by the end of the message, people are being moved. In fact, within a just short period of time, almost 10% of the city of Jerusalem has bought in to who Jesus is. And they put their faith in him. And so you can imagine, this kind of commotion gets the religious leaders upset. Because the religious leaders were Jewish. And so... They arrest Peter and John, and they throw them into prison. Now, when the followers of Jesus became aware that Peter and John were in prison, they were terrified. They believed that they were going to be crucified or killed in some way. So they're left in prison overnight, and the next day they're called before a council of leaders, and they're asked to explain what happened. And Peter said, well, I'm glad you asked. And then he launches into another message about Jesus. And at the conclusion of his message... He makes this final statement. It's a statement that's going to bug some of you. He says this, there is salvation in no one else. 
God has given no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. This is crazy. I mean, he just got out of jail for saying this kind of stuff. He's still wearing his orange jumpsuit. He hasn't had time to shower after shaking hands with Bernie Madoff. He is wearing the same clothes as the night before, and he's just going off about Jesus again. And Peter says to his audience, this council of leaders, he says, we can't shut up. He says, God's grace and his power and his love are so amazing. They're revolutionary. And when people put their faith and their trust in who Jesus is, it changes them. And the council doesn't really know what to do. And so they send Peter and John outside the council and they talk among themselves for a while and eventually they call them back in. And they say to Peter and John, here's the deal, we're going to let you go. We're not going to kill you. We're not going to put you back in jail. But you have to shut up. You can't keep talking about Jesus. Stop blaming us for crucifying him and putting him to death. Here's what we read in regards to the response. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. Peter and John says, hey, you do what you have to do, and we're going to do what we have to do. So they decided we're going to stay the course. We're not going to budge. We're not going to throw in the towel. We're going to hold tight to our convictions. And then they go on their way. And they go through the streets of Jerusalem, and they start bumping into some of the followers of Jesus. And the, the excitement among the followers of Jesus was palatable because everybody's sent it. Like, you weren't killed. You're still alive. Our church leaders are still with us. In fact, here's how the believers responded. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together. Okay, and what they did is they lifted their voices together in prayer to God. Now, quick question. How would you pray in a moment like this? I mean, you've almost lost your, your, two of your most influential church leaders, Okay, they spent the night in jail. It was a very close call. So how would you pray? And what would you pray for? Because I know me, I'd pray for protection. I'd pray God watch over me, protect me, bless me, take care of me. The older I get, the more I care about my comfort, the more I care about safety. When I was a kid, I couldn't have cared less. Right, because as kids, we, we take risks. We don't think much about it. My entire childhood was filled with risks. Part of that was because uh, my dad was a factory worker, and so he was supporting a family of nine. There were seven kids and then my parents. And so there wasn't a whole lot of money that we had to do things, so we had to come up with our own excitement and uh, our own way of entertaining ourselves, which often put us in danger. And uh, one of the things that put us in danger is a half block away from our house, there was an, uh, uh, an abandoned field and uh, so the neighborhood kids, we got together and we built a, a bike track in that field. So we put together ramps and we built this, this cool, we called it a dirt track, but it was a bike track. And, and we brought our bikes out over there. And out of curiosity, okay, because I know all of us probably uh, had bikes growing up. Um, how many of you owned a Schwinn bicycle? All right, look around. Look around because these are the privileged people. Yeah, these are the privileged people, right? These guys are the people who are spoiled. Uh, I did not grow up with a Schwinn bicycle. I grew up, like many in my neighborhood, with Huffy. All right, anybody have a Huffy like me? 
All right, I know they still make Huffy, and I'm sure they're way better than they used to be, but Huffy at the time was simply sold by Kmart, and it was like Huffy versus Schwinn, and we were always trying to one-up one another, and um, this was my life. Now, apparently, my parents cared about my safety way more than I did because they knew we spent a lot of time at the dirt track, is again, what we called it, and so they insisted on a type of clothing that I had to wear. Most of my buddies would just wear jogging pants or Levi jeans or Lee jeans. My parents bought me, does anybody remember the brand Tough Skins? All right, this was from, this was from Sears. Sears put out this brand, Tough Skins, and they had these like, creases that went down the middle. They were like lethal creases. Or you can barely like bend your knees. It was just absolutely unreal. But they knew, hey, my son's going to try to be evil Knievel. He's going to try to be the huffy king, right? The king, the huffy posse, whatever you want to call it. And so I would wear my Tough Skin jeans when I would be on my bike, and I would fall at the time. But it didn't matter because I was wearing Tough Skins. Well, the older I get, the more I care about comfort, the more I care about safety. And if, if I was to advise Peter and John, I'd say, hey, here's what you need to do. You need to do whatever you can to be safe. Let's come up with a strategy. Let's purchase a fleet of black, tricked-out Escalades. Let's get a security team. Let's put things in your ears. Let's get you nice suits. I mean, let's, let's, let's get this together. And hey, let's, let's just kind of tone down the rhetoric. Don't, don't mention Jesus' name right now. Don't mention the resurrection. Eventually, things are going to die down, and then you can start talking about that. But right now, let's just talk about love and peace all the time because everybody loves talks on love. Everybody loves talks on peace. Maybe I'm throwing a little bit of forgiveness, but let, let's stay away from the intense topics. Don't keep telling people there's only one way to God. But that's not the advice they were given, nor is it the direction that the early church prayed. In fact, when they prayed, essentially the start of their prayer was sovereign God. We believe that you allowed for this arrest to take place so that your name would be made known. And then they continued praying and they get to that part in the prayer request where all of us would say, now protect me, watch over me, send your angels to guard me, and here's what they pray. And now, O oh Lord, Hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. This is crazy. Boldness is what got them into this situation, it's what placed them into this predicament. Boldness is what's created tension all over the city. You and I could make a good argument for these guys already being bold. Now, let me shoot another question at you. How many times as a follower of Jesus do you look at the scenario or situation in your life that's causing you fear and pray for boldness? I mean, as followers of Jesus living in 2017 in the United States of America, this, this isn't even part of our vocabulary most of the time. They're saying, man, we, we want boldness. We want courage to stay the course. It'd be easy to walk away right now, but we want the courage to stay strong. And then they prayed for something else. Here we go. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. 
Now, this verse is easy to overlook because it makes us uncomfortable because it's talking about like signs and, and wonders. And, and we just got weird pictures. Come on, we got weird pictures that come to our mind with those words, right? We picture television ministry, you know, guy preaching in an all-white suit. His wife, you know, her makeup looks like she lost a paintball gun war. So we've got these pictures in our mind. But they prayed, God, we want to see signs and wonders because what they were essentially praying is, Lord, we want our community affected by you. What if we prayed our own version of this? What if we prayed, God, I want you to stretch out your hand and do something through me, do something through our church family, do something through us that advances your kingdom, that makes your name known, not for our benefit, but for your benefit. What would happen as followers of Jesus if we started praying for more boldness and more courage to confront our fears? Now, maybe before we do that, maybe we need to pray for a change of perspective. Because that's really where it starts. Courageous people live with the end in mind. The reason someone's able to walk into their fear is because they see the bigger picture. They're not just living in the moment. right? Because the moment is uncomfortable. The moment is inconvenient. The moment isn't fun. But people with courage are saying, hey, there's a bigger picture. There's a, there's a different ending than what we've been accustomed to. And so we're going to confront our fear. So what would it look like if we just say, hey, God, for your honor, for your glory, give me the courage to confront the fears in my life. God, help me be strong in my marriage, because here's the deal. My marriage is falling apart, and I fear that if I stay in this, it's only going to get worse. I feel like things aren't going to change, and I don't even know what to do. I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. God, give me courage. My grandfather was born in 1928. He got married when he was 18 years old. All right, very common, of course, in this time period of history. He was a sole provider for his family. He loved them. And then at 40 years old, uh, he had a stroke. And this, as a result of the stroke, he was paralyzed on half his body for the rest of his life. Well, this changed the entire family. Okay? They had just moved into a brand new home. Again, he was the sole provider. Social Security wasn't going to take care of everything. And so my mom at 15 years old had to go get a job and give every dollar she made back to her family. My aunt had to do the same thing. My grandma went and got a job. And even though my grandpa, loving individual, caring individual, it would have been so much easier for my grandma to just throw in the towel. But she chose to stay when it would have been easier to go. And so for the next 39 years... After his stroke, she stayed with him. And it became the tipping point for my mom growing up in a stable family. It became the tipping point for how it affected me and my siblings. It didn't necessarily affect an entire nation, but it made a difference for our family. What if your prayer was, God, just right now in this season, I don't know how things are going to end, but God, in this season, give me the courage to stay when it'd be easier to go. Maybe for you, your prayer just simply needs to be, God, I don't like going home to my family. I've got enough stress at work. I've got enough stress pushing in on me at every level. And so I'd rather just go hang out with my buddies every night after work. I'd rather go out with my girlfriends and just not deal with the stresses at home. But God, give me in this season the courage to stay when it'd be easier to just walk away from it all. Maybe for you it's an addiction. And you've gotten help. I've got a brother who has been going through AA over the past year. And uh, he's miserable sometimes to be around because... Quite honestly, it was a lot more fun when he was drinking. And there are days that I want to say something to him in, in jest and joking and say, you know, you need a drink, just loosen up. And, and I, I refuse to do it. 
because this has been such a journey and such a challenge for him. And he calls me sometimes and say, Dave, it's so difficult. And I say, here's the deal, dude. You just need to stay the course. How can I help you? How can I pray for you? And if you say, well, Dave, I, I've taken that journey and I've, I've, I've thrown in the towel and I've had bumps in the road and I, I don't fulfill all the promises I make, don't just walk away. Maybe for you having the courage to stay, it means, hey, the situation I'm in right now, as many times I've dropped the ball, I'm just going to pick it back up and I'm going to keep moving forward. Maybe you started the journey of generosity in your life. You look at the amount of resources God's blessed you with because you, even if you, by American standards, don't have a lot, of course, across the globe, we all do. And maybe you started that journey and then things got difficult and bills started piling up. Maybe you need, Lord, help me to realign myself. I want the courage to stay faithful in my giving when it would be easier to bail and walk away. Or maybe you've started the journey of forgiveness, which forgiveness doesn't mean we forget. uh, Forgiveness doesn't mean that uh, we let someone off the hook, but sometimes there's that fear in us. Like I fear if I forgive, I fear if I don't retaliate, I fear if I don't take vengeance into my hands, that it's just gonna be, making things easy for them, and it's letting them off the hook. Look, God, give me the courage to stay the course because I want to bail right now. Maybe it's just as simple as, God, I'm tired of holding on to the values and the convictions. I'm tired of dating this way. I'm tired of being a parent with this way. I look at everybody else and what they're doing, it just seems so much easier. God, give me the courage to stay. About once every couple weeks at the church I pastor in Wisconsin, uh, someone will come up to me and they'll say, hey, Dave, just want to say thank you for starting this church, the impact it's made in my life. Uh, I'm being changed because of it. And every time my response is the same, every time. It's, it's got to be annoying to people who've heard it over and over and over. And I just say, you don't have to thank me. I didn't do anything that courageous. I grew up in a godly home. I grew up in a loving home. If you're going to thank anybody, go find my dad. Right? Because when my dad was in his early 20s, he started to seriously explore the claims of Christ. And so... He hadn't grown up in a stable home. In fact, he had grown up in the, in the foster care system, and he was very cynical of God. But eventually, he made the decision to show up to church, and then he surrendered his life to Jesus. And that one decision became the tipping point for our entire family and how our family tree started to unfold. Now, over the years, my parents have seen some of the worst that Christianity has to offer. Right? They grew up, or they were followers of Jesus in the 80s with some of the worst television ministry scandals. Okay, they, they were followers of Jesus when politics started being synonymous with the word Jesus. They lived through a lot of craziness and messiness. The church that they were a part of for so many years actually still are. They attend Great Lakes on Sunday mornings. They attend there on Saturday nights. They've gone through six pastor changes since they've been there. But they made the decision to stay when it would have been easier to go. And their decision to stay prepared for me and gave me a strong foundation in my faith. And I grew up with a faith community of people who still know my name, still pray for me, still care about me. And that was my dad, and despite the picture, he didn't work for the mafia by any stretch of the imagination. Courage has a lot of different faces. Sometimes it's choosing to stay when it'd be easier to go. But that's why the Apostle Paul writes a letter in the first century to followers of Jesus in Galatia, and he says this. He said, let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. 
I shared this a few months ago when I was at Timberlake. This has been the most difficult year of our church's history. We're almost nine years old. It's just been a difficult year. We've changed locations for our largest campus five times in the last five months. Okay, it's hard to keep a church together. And Pastor Ben has been an incredible encouragement during those seasons of transition. But over and over and over, when I feel like just throwing in the towel and say, I can't keep doing this, I, I, I just, it's just too much uncertainty. There's a verse that I will repeat over and over and over to my mind out of 1 Corinthians 15. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. I've got lots of fear because of all the uncertainty with the moves. I've got lots of fear with all the things happening. Who's going to stay with us? How long can we go through this? And then I remind myself, nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Where is it you want to throw in the towel? If you decide in this season to stay the course for no other reason than you simply believe it's a way of honoring the Lord, it's not useless. It's not in vain. Nothing you do for him is ever a waste. I know most of us are addicted to adrenaline. We want to see things happen right away. But let me leave you with this thought. Most acts of courage are small and undramatic. Most acts of courage are never going to make the news. Most acts of courage are never going to be written about. There's never going to be a movie. But there's still a tipping point for you or the people around you. Let me pray for you. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.